You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, and we pray that you'd be pleased to teach us and to lead us, to guide us, to speak to our hearts this morning, Father. As we look to your word, give us clarity of thought and open our hearts, Lord, to your wonderful word and open your word. O Lord, to our hearts in such a way that not just makes us hearers, but would impact our lives with this truth, Father. That as we leave here, Father, we would find ourselves becoming more and more like your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask these things in his name. Amen and amen. In verse 39, we learn that Mary travels with haste to visit her relative Elizabeth. And I think at the onset of it, we, we don't have to do a whole lot of probing to understand why she would want to visit Elizabeth. After all, who is she going to be able to relate with, with the news that she's received? I mean, um, we could imagine her trying to explain this to one of her girlfriends. Um, you know, there's something happened the other night. Um, there, there, there was this angel, and um, you know his his name was Gabriel. You know, in Sunday school, the teacher taught us that it was Gabriel that appeared to Daniel. Well, Gabriel appeared to me and told me that that I was going to conceive miraculously, even though I've never known a man. I'm going to conceive, and I'm going to be with child, and I'm going to bear a child, and. I'm going to call him Jesus and he's going to be the promised Messiah. How do you suppose that would go? <laughs> I, you could almost envision her girlfriend going, oh boy, Mary. Um, where do you even start with that? Um, there's only one person that's going to be able to relate and truly connect with Mary at this point, And that's Elizabeth, isn't it? And um, it's a blessing that these two have each other. And perhaps, I don't know, this is speculative on my part, but perhaps this has something to do with why Elizabeth puts herself away for five months. You know, who is Elizabeth going to really talk about the fact that she's miraculously become a child and the things that Zechariah, I mean, who's she going to be able to relate with? Um, And it's true that when you're going through things, you do like to find people that are experiencing similar things, don't you? 
when you're going through stuff, you do have a tendency to seek out people that are going through the same kind of stuff. And so Mary makes her way quickly to Elizabeth's house. Now, we're told that when Mary enters Elizabeth's uh, house, she greets Elizabeth, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, we know that the child to be born to Elizabeth is none other than John the Baptist. He'll be John the Baptist, you know. He will be the one of whom Isaiah speaks about, the voice in the wilderness that's crying, prepare the way for the Lord. And he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. He'll be the last of the Old Testament prophets to proclaim uh, that the Messiah is coming and the Messiah has come. And here at only six months uh, into, just six months beyond conception, he's still in his mother's womb and we find him carrying out his duty, don't we? I believe we do. Uh, There are many who don't believe that's what's going on. Um, But I fully believe that's what's going on. There are a lot of people that just simply do not believe that a fetus in the womb of his mom could actually uh, uh, leap because a woman has uh, stepped in who uh, uh, is pregnant and Mary wouldn't appear to be pregnant to anyone at this juncture. Now would she? Um, there's many that have a hard time believing that. I don't have any trouble believing that. I believe that John is excited. And I believe that John is excited. He's excited for one reason. And what is that reason? Jesus has just entered the room. That's what he's excited about. And now, why do I have no trouble believing this? Well, it's because of verse 15. You remember back in verse 15. When Gabriel is speaking to Zechariah, Gabriel says to Zechariah, concerning the child that Elizabeth will find herself with miraculously, he says that this child, your son Zechariah, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's what he said, isn't it? And... This makes me think of two things that Jesus would say during his earthly ministry. The first comes from Luke chapter 10 and verse 21, where Jesus is in prayer to his father. And he says these words, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. (laughs) Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And here we see that it's the father's prerogative in terms of what he reveals and whom he reveals it to. It's the father's prerogative. Whether it be a five-year-old or a 65-year-old or one who is only six months beyond conception. Another passage that I thought of Earlier this week, as I was pondering this, comes from Matthew 21 and verse 16, where Jesus says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Here we must say, by way of a leaping fetus, you have prepared praise. So no, I have no problem believing that the reason John is leaping in his mother's womb is because Jesus has just come into the room. This is not a any kind of feat for God, is it? Really? 
The one who spoke and everything came into existence? Is this going to be troubling for him to accomplish? My heavens, no. Now, let's, let's think about what's happening here. What, what is taking place here? What's taking place here is worship. Isn't it? Worship. And in fact, worship is going to be a major theme. Uh, in Luke, if we were to begin a systematic study through the course of Luke, we would see that worship is a really big theme uh, early on in these chapters. There's a lot of worship taking place here, and I want to spend the rest of our time this morning uh, teasing that out of the text. The first thing I want to point out to you is God's role in the worship that is taking place here. What is God's role? Well, if we, de- if we deny the work of the Holy Spirit and we deny the Holy Spirit, then we're going to have a lot of problems uh, with a child acknowledging that something is going on, especially a child that is still in his mother's womb. We're going to have a lot of trouble imagining that if we deny the work of the Holy Spirit. But if we acknowledge the Holy Spirit and his work, we shouldn't have any problem here at all. After all, uh, who is empowering? Who is empowering young John to see? Who is giving young John eyes to see here? Who is giving young John ears to hear? Now, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I do not know at what stage in uh, a, a child's development. Uh, beyond conception, where the eyes start to form and where the ears start to form. I, I don't know all that. And I'll also tell you, I didn't bother to look it up. Why? Because this is not a biological thing that's taking place here. It's a spiritual thing that's taking place here. It's a spiritual thing that's taking place here. Who is giving him eyes to see? The Holy Spirit. Who is giving him ears to hear? The Holy Spirit. Who is giving him faith to acknowledge? The Holy Spirit. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, worship is impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot see spiritual things. We simply can't. Any better than a fetus in its mother's womb. We can't see it. I mean, think of Ephesians chapter 2, you know, where the apostle... Paul says, listen, you know, without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're dead in our sins and trespasses, aren't we? And what can we do? Nothing, 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 not a single thing. The word dead means dead. It means unable to do anything. And and the meaning is we're biologically alive, but we're spiritually dead. And this takes place in the garden, doesn't it? In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, they they die spiritually and the human race plummets down into the realm of sin and death and darkness. Remember our study in Romans 5? Upon the rebellion of Adam, what happens to the human race? We plunge into the sin, death, and darkness. Spiritual death takes place. And from this point on, Jesus teaches us that unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God, can he? Well, if we can't see the kingdom of God, we certainly can't see its king. And if we can't see its king, we can't praise him, can we? Well, old preachers used to call this quickening. You know, it's the language used in the Apostles' Creed. You know, speaking of when Jesus would return. When Jesus returns, he's going to come to judge who? The quick 
and the dead, right? The quick and the dead. And that is taken directly out of the old King James translation of 1 Peter, verse 4 and or I'm sorry, chapter 4 and verse 5. And uh, for the sake of context, just listen with me. You don't need to turn there, just listen. 1 Peter 4, verses 3 to 4 establishes the context. It's easier if I read it in the ESV. I'll read it in the ESV to you. And then when we get to verse 5, I'll read it in the King James and then I'll read it in the ESV and you'll see what's going on here. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Now, verse 5 in the King James translation. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. See, the language of the Apostles' Creed comes right out, right out of here, doesn't it? In the ESV, it's rendered, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, in one uh, translation, it's the quick and the dead. In the ESV, the more modern translation, the living and the dead. It's just the translator. The translator's just speaking in the vernacular is all it is. Uh, we don't really speak about being quickened. Um, if you went up to somebody this afternoon and said, have you been quickened in the Lord? I don't think they would really know what you're talking about. They might think you're some kind of weirdo. Um, we don't talk that way, do we? Uh, the word that's being translated is the word zaho. And you're more familiar with the word zaho than you realize because everyone in the room has heard the word Zoe, haven't we? Zoe is a beautiful name, isn't it? Does anybody know what Zoe means? Zoe means life. Zaho means to come to life. To come to life. To be quickened. Living. So, here we might think of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul's life, you know. when It's so graphic. I mean, when the Holy Spirit quickened or gave life to the soul of the Apostle Paul, then known as Saul of Tarsus. Scripture tells us that something like scales fell from his eyes, doesn't it? Some may not be as familiar with this. I mean, the inspired story goes like this. Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus to do what? He's going to, he's headed there to persecute the church, isn't he? But on the way, Christ blinds him with his glory, doesn't he? And now Paul's, you know, reaching around in the dark and he has to be led, uh, led away by his friends and they take him away to this house. And in the meantime, the Lord, uh, he, he consults Ananias and says to Ananias, uh, uh, Ananias, I want you to do something. I want you to go uh, see this Saul of Tarsus character and I want you to pray for him. Um, and Ananias, we're told in chapter 9, verse 17, he departs, he enters the house where Saul is staying. And he said, quote, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Here's a graphic illustration of the work of the Holy Spirit in opening the eyes, isn't it? 
Something like scales fell from his eyes. God's not willy-nilly with the things that he does. Why is he blind, Saul? Why is it? Why all this? It's, it's an illustration for us to understand. It's an illustration for us to see, to try to see the mechanics of these, of these deep spiritual things, which otherwise would, would be almost incommunicable to us, wouldn't they? So here we have the Holy Spirit opening the ears, opening the eyes, quickening the soul. Now here's a point that I want you to hold on to. When the Holy Spirit brings life to a person, he brings worship. When the Holy Spirit brings life to a person, this quickening, he brings worship. He brings worship. Now, he doesn't do the worshiping. The worshiper does that. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. He opens the eyes. He opens the ears. And then he sets Jesus Christ right before us, doesn't he? And I I think that's exactly what's going on in our text this morning, isn't it? John is filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Six months beyond conception, in his mother's womb, those eyes are open, those ears are open, and in comes Jesus. And what happens? What happens is what has to happen. Worship. And John leaps for joy, doesn't he? He leaps for joy. And the same thing goes on in the life of a believer. It's the same thing that happens to us, isn't it? I mean, we we gather here together on the Lord's Day. We come into the presence of Christ and what's happened? If we're quickened, if we've been given new life, what happens? We worship, don't we? If we're not quickened, we just kind of sit here and kind of look around and wonder what's happening we see people and they seem excited and they, they, they seem really into it. Um, you know, I, we're just kind of looking around. Um, but that's not so after you've been quickened, is it? As life has been given to you, as the eyes have been opened and the ears have been opened. And we, we can't worship in the way that we're worshiping this morning in isolation from the church. I mean... We can't, I mean, we can worship Jesus every day and we should worship him every day and worship him and glorify him with everything we do, but we can't do it. We can't do what we're doing right now apart from one another, can we? We can't. Um, it's where two or three are gathered. It's where there's a plurality of believers. And that, that, that speaks powerfully here to Mary's visit with Elizabeth. As I've already stated, you know, Mary seeks Elizabeth's company. Why? I mean, who's she going to relate with? You know, she's, she's, she's not going to be able to relate with her girlfriends about this. They're not going to they're think she fell down and hit her head. So she seeks Elizabeth. And the point that I want to make, the next point that I want to make is that worshipers will seek worshipers. It's, it's inevitable. I mean, why? It's because the Lord's bringing us together. I mean, that's, 
He, he, you know, he will bring us together like all parents. His deep desires that all his children be together. Well, some of you parents are young. You're, you're young parents. You're just getting started. You, you haven't lived long enough to know experientially what I'm about to talk about. But there's others in the room who know this quite well. One of these days, these young ones, they'll go off to college. And they'll go out into the workplace. And there they will meet someone. And most likely will decide they want to spend the rest of their life with that someone. And what happens is you'll discover one day that you're now sharing holidays with a whole nother family. And when that happens, it intensifies your desire to want to have all of your kids together. It intensifies it. Why? Because you're loving parents. And a loving parent wants all their children together, especially on the holidays. Especially on the holidays. Well, guess what? God has revealed himself to us as a father. As a parent. And he is a loving parent. And he couldn't be a father if he didn't have any children, could he? He has children. He is a father. He is a loving father. And he has children. What does he desire? He desires that all of his children be together. And I think what we have here is another powerful motivation for Mary to visit Elizabeth. Worshippers seek worshipers. Why? Because the father is gathering his children. He's gathering his children. Does that make sense? I mean, one of the reasons I think, you know, I never really put this together until this week, but I think this is one of the reasons the apostle John can say these words. You know, in first John chapter three, verse 14, he says that we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's one of the marks of a person who has been quickened by the Holy Spirit, who is now living, has life, is that we have this love for the church. Um, Prior to this, we don't have that love for the church. Not this kind of love. I mean, it's not that we wish any harm necessarily on the church. We just don't give any thought to the church. Uh, The church is not something that we desire or we don't really wish any ill towards the church, but it's not what we're going to do with our time. Um, But when the Holy Spirit breathes spiritual life into us and he opens our eyes and he opens our ears and we're now able to behold Jesus and we have this experience like Mary, we seek worshipers. We seek people who we can relate to because you're going to quickly discover there's lots of people around you that you really can't talk about this with. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Go to the workplace and start talking about Jesus and people are going to be looking at you. Okay, you're just not going to be able to communicate like that. Some of you are smiling. You know what I'm talking about. So who are you going to seek out? You're going to seek out those whom you can commune with at the deepest level, which is who? Brothers and sisters in the faith, the church. 
That's your new family. This is now where you belong. And you feel like a fish out of water when you're not there, don't you? I don't fit in anymore. It has to be Mary. How can Mary fit in? How can Mary fit in now? After what has taken place? Where does Mary fit? Elizabeth's house. After our eyes have been opened and our ears have been opened, where do we fit? Well, in the family of God. This is how the Father's bringing his family together, isn't it? Now, what about Elizabeth? You know, we haven't really spoken much about Elizabeth. What about her? What's her response? I can answer, I can answer that with one word. Song. S-O-N-G. Song. Her response could be answered with one word. She breaks out in song. It's not so easy to see. You know, in our text here, some of you may be aware of it, but it's not so easy to see because, like, we're aware that Mary sings. If you look at verses 46 to 55 in most Bibles, you can see that the, the, the prose is interrupted and it's kind of versified there. You see that? Whereas, you know, the prose is not really broken in what Elizabeth utters. But Elizabeth breaks out into song. That's worship. You see, it's told you worship is all over this thing. It's everywhere. And in fact, Elizabeth breaks out in the first of five songs that takes place early on in Luke. You have Elizabeth's song. Then we have Mary's song. Then we have Zechariah's song. Then we have the song of the angels. And then we have Simeon's song. Five songs in the beginning of Luke. That's a lot of worship, isn't it? Worship is all over this thing. Look again with me to verse 41. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This, 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 whenever you read these, these words, filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible, get ready because what's probably going to happen next is this prophetic utterance. The thus saith, saith the Lord is, is coming next. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, what is this blessed? What is this word blessed? What does that mean? Often it's defined as being happy. Um, sometimes you even maybe find a paraphrase that would even paraphrase this. Happy are you among women and happy is the fruit of your womb. I, I wouldn't translate it that way, but you might find some paraphrases that do. Um, if you were taking a theological exam right now and you were asked to define blessed and you put happy down, you would probably only get half credit for your answer. Um, happy is onto the scent of it, but um, it's very insufficient of an answer of what it means to be blessed. Now, why do I say that? Because, well, let's think about it. Jesus, Jesus speaks about being blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, what does he mean by that? Well, uh, those who have been awakened to their spiritual bankruptcy and realize their sinfulness before Almighty God. Um, I can tell you right now, and, and I don't need to tell many of you, there are moments where that is spiritually agonizing, isn't it? You're not feeling particularly happy when that's happening to you. But you are really blessed. You are really blessed because you're on your way to tasting the grace of Christ Jesus. 
Or you might think, blessed are those who mourn. That doesn't sound very much fun. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecution can leave you not feeling so happy. But Jesus said you're very, very blessed. Why? For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of God. So you see the insufficiency of defining blessed as happy. Eh, What's blessed mean? It means having the favor of God. It's going to yield happiness ultimately. You see, it's onto the scent of it. I mean, it's going to yield happiness, but you can be in a really unhappy situation and still be incredibly blessed. You see, incredibly blessed. So, um, Back to Elizabeth, upon the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth utters, blessed are you among women. Now, we can understand why. I mean, Mary has the unspeakable privilege of carrying the Lord Jesus in her womb. No woman ever before Elizabeth or before Mary, no woman after Mary will ever have this kind of blessing. Amen? Uh, it's, It's unspeakable. But this is not a call to worship Mary. It's not a call to worship Mary. That would be idolatry. It's not a call to pray to Mary. That would be to set, as I said last week, to set Mary up as a mediator between us and God. You know, I was just reading devotionally this morning. On Sunday mornings when I get up, I do not get up as a preacher. I get up as a believer in Christ Jesus. And I go through my personal devotions before I do anything else. And this morning while I was doing that, I, I got up and was reading from, uh, from Timothy. Uh, and in chapter 2, verse 5, uh, I, I was struck by the words there. Uh, For there is one God, and there is one mediator, Christ Jesus our Lord. There's only one mediator. And our mediator bids us to come directly to him. He bids, he bids us to come directly to him. So going to someone or something else in his place is idolatrous and would be sinful to do so. But as I said last week, there's a lot we can learn from Mary. There's a lot that we can learn from Mary. Look down with me to verse 45. At the end of her song, Elizabeth says this, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's a lot we can learn here. I mean, here's Mary's response of faith, and it's, it's being compared to Zechariah's response of unbelief, isn't it? I don't know if Zechariah could hear the song being sung or not. I don't know if he was within earshot. Of, but commentators speculate about that. Some are convinced he heard it, you know. I don't know if he was there. The text doesn't tell us. Um, but he's being compared to Mary. Uh, and he's certainly coming up short, isn't he? Um, so here we see Mary such a fine example of the people of God here, and we should look to her with the same respect we'd afford all the other biblical saints. Uh, but we don't pray to her. We don't, we don't worship her. Um, now, continuing with Elizabeth's song, if you look to verse 42 with me again, uh, Elizabeth utters, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See that phrase? The fruit of your womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What is Elizabeth pointing to? She's pointing to Christ, isn't she? She's pointing to Christ. He is the object of the worship of all of heaven for all eternity. He is the object of worship. Elizabeth gets this, doesn't she? Well, of course she gets this because we're told she's filled with the Holy Spirit, you see. And what's happening when she's filled with the Holy Spirit? Same thing that's happening to John. 
Same thing that's happening to us. Her eyes are open. Her ears are open. Jesus is put right before her. In this case, Christ is in the, in the uh, womb of Mary. You can't see this with your biological eyes. You can't hear this with your biological ears. This is something the Holy Spirit brings in us, isn't it? And who is the object? Jesus, the fruit of Mary's womb. He is the object of our faith. And now if you look with me to verses 43 and 44, one last point real quick. Mary, or I'm sorry, Elizabeth says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Again, the Holy Spirit has enabled John to recognize that Christ is present. He leaps for joy. He worships. The Holy Spirit enables Elizabeth to recognize that Christ is present. And she bursts out in song. You see the worship that's taking place here. But what effect does this have on Elizabeth? Well, it humbles her. Look, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's not worshiping Mary here. But she is recognizing uh, that Mary has received unspeakable favor from God. But the object of her worship is the fruit of her womb. The object of John's worship is Jesus has come into the room. The object of Elizabeth's worship is Jesus has come into the room. The role of the Holy Spirit is to open our eyes and ears so that we can behold who? God through Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what's taking place here. And what does that do to the worshiper? It humbles him. It humbles her. Who in the world am I? There's a lot of houses around here. What are you doing here? Who am I? I, I'm no princess. We can ask the same question, can't we? Who in the world are we that we should be gathered here this morning with eyes that are open and ears that are open with the spiritual ability to perceive, even if it's ever so dimly, to be able to perceive that Christ is alive and reigning at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Who in the world are we that we should be granted such favor as this? Amen. Humbles us, doesn't it? What in the world am I going to call this message? Because it seems like it's all over the place. We could call it worship, huh? We have an editor in the room who's probably agreeing with me. This is all over the place. Not to draw any attention to anyone. Don't look. How about this? How about we call it this? The heart of worship. How's that sound? The heart of worship. This really brings us to the heart of worship, doesn't it? God, what role does he have in it? He has every role in it. He doesn't do the worshiping. But without him, there's no worship going to be taking place, is there? He opens the eyes, he opens the ears, and he puts Christ right before us that we might behold him. We don't behold him perfectly. We don't do anything perfectly in this life, do we? But when this happens... What do we do? We worship. 
And as we worship, what effect does it have on us? Humbles us, doesn't it? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that, Father, in this text, you bring us to the very heart of worship as you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and you place Jesus right before us. Oh, Father, we thank you for this. We praise you for this. Father, what do we say in response? Um, uh, Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.